Last week, Susie brought out my senior photo. A little more information needed. My high school mascot was the Lumberjacks. And this axe came from my great-grandfather. It was actually, I think, given to my dad. His, that was his grandpa. But um, here's a photo, actually, of my, some of my family. So down on the seated, August and Louise. And then there in the center, that tall, good-looking guy. That's my great-grandpa, Fred. Yeah, Fred. And so Fred actually grew up to be a carpenter and built houses. Um, so that's my dad's dad's dad. But my dad's mom's dad, Hans Nelson, was actually a lumberjack. He came from Norway as a teenager and uh, went to the logging camps and started um, logging, and he was a lumberjack. And then he went, got into farming later. But as a kid, I grew up hearing a story about lumberjacks in a lumberjack tree chopping competition. I know it's very shocking walking in that I have an axe. Um, so here's how the story went. So there's this lumberjack camp, and there's this big guy. And he was big and strong and had a big axe and was very boastful about how awesome he was as a tree chopper. And, uh, you know, he probably thought he was the descendant of Paul Bunyan, which he probably wasn't, but he boasted a lot. He had a big mouth. And so this guy, um, you know, all winter long, big mouth, blah, 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 I'm so great. And at the end of the winter, there's this scrawny little guy, another guy in camp, who challenges him to a tree-chopping competition. So they set a date where they are going to chop all day and see who can chop the most trees. So, you know, that day comes, that morning comes, and they eat a big lumberjack breakfast, and they head out at 7 a.m. to start chopping trees. You know, and the big guy, he just starts swinging, and it's as if he is, like, able to chop down trees with one swing. He is strong and amazing, and everybody's like, wow, you're amazing. <laughs> and the small, scrawny guy, he starts chopping, too. You know, he's methodical in his chopping. He's just chopping down trees methodically. And, you know, seems like he's kind of keeping up. Well, as the morning goes on, the big guy, you know, he was too busy to boast and talk because he was chopping. But, you know, the day goes on, he notices, wait, scrawny guy isn't even chopping. He's over in the shade taking a rest. So he yells over, hey, did you give up already? And the scrawny little guy says, hey, I just thought you were pretty amazing and I just wanted to put my axe down and watch you. So that's how the day goes. The big guy, he never takes a break. He's just chopping and swinging and ch cutting down trees. And little scrawny guy, you know, every couple hours taking a break, sitting in the shade. Well, at the end of the day, they get to the time at sunset, and they're like, okay, call the time. Let's count the trees. And they're like, ah, why even bother? Big guy's obviously the winner. But they're like, ah, oh, we'll count anyway. So they count, and big guy chops down 43 trees. In that day, which is pretty good. And everyone's like cheering, like, wow, you're amazing. And um, they're like, oh, well, why? we don't even need to bother, but we'll count the scrawny guy's trees just to see. And then they're like, whoa, wait. And they have to count twice because scrawny guy chopped down 68 trees. And everybody's like, what? How did you do it? What is going on? You're amazing. And so they um, are all gathered around him asking, well, what? how did you do it? And scrawny guy says, 
well, you know, that guy, he's big and he's strong. He's got to use a much bigger axe than I do. But you know what? If every once in a while you stop and sharpen your axe, you don't have to be nearly as strong. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so that's that guy. And uh, thank, you. thank you, Brad. Today we're talking about Sabbath resistance. Sabbath resistance. You know, resistance is defined as this thing that you're pushing against. You're, you're refusing it. You're against it, right? You're resisting it. And so one way when you read that phrase, Sabbath resistance, one way to read that is you resisting Sabbath. And so you can think about Sabbath, not accepting it, refusing it, pushing it away. You might think about for yourself your own kind of internal resistance to the idea of Sabbath, of taking a day off, of ceasing work. Well, I'm curious what resistance this past month you've had as we've been talking about Sabbath. Like in you, what has like resisted this idea of Sabbath? Now, Sabbath is not like a very difficult concept. It's just simply the idea of work six days and then on the seventh day, cease working and rest. Not a very difficult concept, but it's amazing how difficult it is to apply Sabbath, to actually follow through and do it. You know, it seems like a super nice idea to take a break, but it's hard to follow through. And so here's the question. I think downstairs, you know, that thing downstairs happening right now, they're discussing this, I hope. This is a question you're going to have to talk about at lunch. The question is, why? Why do we resist taking a break? Sabbath. Well, the second way to read Sabbath resistance is to think about Sabbath as the thing resisting something else. So an action, like Sabbath is this action of resistance toward something else, which raises another question. What does Sabbath resist? Well, this is where I want to spend our time this morning. Sabbath as an action of resistance. So to do that, let's look at Exodus chapter 16. And if you want this week, it'd be interesting, I think, for you to read that chapter and see all the richness in this story of God introducing the idea of Sabbath to the people of Israel. So Exodus chapter 16, it takes place six weeks after God released the people of Israel from Egypt, freed them from slavery. So for us, you think about six weeks ago, that's like May 1st. You just think about May 1st, you were freed from slavery in Egypt, you're brought out into the desert, and you're with God. Here's how the people of Israel respond. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve us, this entire, to starve this entire assembly to death. Complain. Resistance. The people are resisting their new leaders, Moses and Aaron. They're resisting God, and they're complaining. And you think about these people. They were just slaves in Egypt, and they're now out of Egypt. 
but they still have a mindset, a mentality of slavery. They're still stuck in their minds. Because back in, in slavery in Egypt, what did they have as, like, opportunity for resistance? Complaining. They didn't have many tools in their toolbox for resistance. So if they didn't like their life situation as a slave, all they could do was use words to complain. Because if they would, like, do something else with resistance, like stop working, violence would be used against them to get them back to work. So as slaves, all they have is this, this complaining. And they cry out to God, and God hears them, and God delivers them from Egypt and from slavery. So now the people are out in the desert, and they don't like their situation once again. They don't like their new master. They're hungry. They're uncomfortable. And they complain. Again, it's the only tool they have in their toolbox, so they complain. But God wants to teach them a different way. God is about to give them a new tool in their toolbox for resistance. To take some action of their own to live differently than the way they learned under Pharaoh's rule. Let's look at how God responds to their complaining. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God gives them this instruction in Exodus 16 about manna, that God will feed them every day manna sent from heaven. All they have to do is go out and pick it up and pick up what you can, and at the end of the day, you kind of share, and everybody gets enough. And manna is so crazy because you can't store manna to the next day. So if you hoard a little bit of manna for yourself thinking, oh, I got to take care of me. All I know is Egypt and Pharaoh getting a whole bunch of wheat and storing it up. I'm going to store some for me. Then the next day, that manna will be stinky and full of maggots. Isn't that crazy? But on the sixth day, you're supposed to store up enough for the next day. And you know what? That manna is totally good. So it's this thing that God did, this miracle, saying, hey, six days work, seventh day rest. So you might be thinking, what? They complain, and God feeds them. They complain, and God says, rest. Yes, God is teaching his people a new way of life different than the system they knew with Pharaoh. A new way of life, God's way of life for his people. You know, 400 years they've been slaves, and all they knew was Pharaoh ruling over them, his oppression, slavery, produce more bricks, produce more bricks, produce more bricks. But when God takes them out of Egypt, they are now away from that system but now God needs to also get that system out of them and get God's new way into them. So they need to resist Pharaoh's way in order to create some space in their lives for God's ways. So back to that question, what is Sabbath resisting? What is Sabbath resisting? 
Well, here's some words I think that kind of describe Pharaoh's oppressive governance over them that they are coming out of. Restless, striving, more, 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 never enough. Unfulfilled, inadequate, always multitasking, achieving, performing, consuming, producing, the rat race. Having more will generate well-being. Where have you heard that before? Having more will generate well-being. Pursuit, and here's where it gets negative, predation, violence, anxiety. That's the system that they're coming out of from Pharaoh's governance. God wants them to stop doing that stuff and come over to his way of life and be under his governance. So what are God's ways? God's ways, he's outlining here, beginning in chapter 16 of Exodus, hey, work six days. Work is good. But on the seventh day, rest. You know, over in Egypt, every day was the same. Every day was a work day. Every day was a producing bricks day. But God is saying, no, enjoy. Take that seventh day and enjoy life. God created life because he wanted to enjoy it, so he wants the people to enjoy it as well. God's ways, food that can't be stored up. Isn't that interesting? Food that can't be stored up helps train the people to trust in God. That they can't just store up and have enough for themselves, but they need to be in trust of God that, yep, tomorrow God will provide again, and the next day, and the next day. You know what's totally crazy in Pharaoh's system? Pharaoh's whole system is built on this idea that Pharaoh is a god, and he needs all kinds of grain to have wealth and power and to prove to the people that he's in control. So Pharaoh is just constantly storing, storing, storing to establish his wealth and power. But God says, no, I have enough, and I'll give it to you. You know, God's ways, working together with your neighbor. Idea with the everyday go out and get manna is some are going to get a little, some are going to get a lot, but at the end of the day, we're all going to gather it together and everyone will have enough. Back in slavery, you were on your own. You had your quota of bricks to make, and if you didn't meet that quota, violence. And if somebody over here is like overproducing and like overachieving in their brick production, they might be like setting the quota higher, creating even more stress in your life. So it's just this big competition amongst people. There's no like helping each other out. It's me for myself. But in God's system, he says, hey, we're in this together. God's ways, set aside time for peace, enjoyment, contentment, and rest. Now, God wants this life to be enjoyed, not just about producing and striving and making, but to enjoy as well. Walter Brueggemann writes about this kind of Sabbath as resistance. Here's what he writes. The world is an anxiety-free one of well-being, because the Creator is anxiety-free and publicly exhibits that freedom from anxiety by not checking things out. God is not a workaholic. God is not a pharaoh. God does not keep jacking up the production schedules. To the contrary, God rests 
confident, serene, at peace. God's rest, moreover, bestows on creatureliness a restfulness that contradicts the drivenness of the system of Pharaoh. So God is training his people in this new way of life. And how is he training them? By using food and teaching them to rest. And this is how Sabbath is a form of active resistance. You know, by resting, we are putting our trust into God. In, in Sabbath, we choose God's peace in resistance to anxiety and stress and restlessness. You know, we choose in God's rest in resistance to striving and working harder and producing more. We choose our neighbor in resistance to everyone being a competitor of mine and me for myself. And everyone's in my way of getting what I need. God is saying, choose your neighbor and resist the competition. Walter Brueggemann again writes, those who participate in Sabbath, in it, break the anxiety cycle. They are invited to awareness that life does not consist in frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone else to a threat and competitor. And as the work stoppage permits a waning of anxiety, so energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. Isn't that great? That God's system is saying, hey, use your energy for others, for the neighborhood. You know, God's giving them out in the desert the Ten Commandments, the, hey, this is how life out here with me is about. God says, okay, first three, love me. I'm your God. You're my people. I'll love you. Please love me. Number four, rest. Sabbath. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments are about loving your neighbor. Isn't that great? Love your neighbor. And how do you do that? Well, first, don't kill them. Don't take their stuff. Don't even just want their stuff. Just be happy that they have it. You know, honor your father and mother. Like, live in a place of respect and harmony with each other. The whole point that God wants them to turn away from Pharaoh's system and come over to his way of life. You have to resist something in order to open up and create space for God's way. A couple of friends of Susie and mine have been trying to practice Sabbath, and for them, they've kind of set up a couple of things, some activities that they do on the Sabbath to, like, create that space, but then also some things that they make commitments to, to, like, shield their Sabbath day, you know, trying to keep the six-day activities in the six days in order so that seventh day rest can be different. So in the proactive kind of things they do, I found this very interesting, that they simply have a playlist of music that they listen to only on the Sabbath. And that's kind of special. It's set aside. And they just chose that all by themselves. They also have this, this attempt to schedule walks and hikes and non-productive moving-your-body activity. And they also set aside some space in their Sabbath day for church, 
being with people, and then also after lunch to spend time with people, to spend non-productive time with people, spending time with people who have no like benefit to your career or your goals or where you're going, but just being friends together. So those are some of the active things they do to resist the pressures coming in at them in the six days. But then there's some things that they're trying to do to shield that seventh day. And Susie talked a couple weeks ago about the Sabbath box, you know, putting your phone or computer or car keys or whatever in the box and just setting it aside for the day. But also they have made a commitment, and this is very interesting to me when they said this, I didn't know what to do with it. But they said, we have kind of made a commitment to have an anxiety-free Sabbath day. And so in order to do that, we have made an, an agreement we will not talk about things that are contentious or create anxiety in us. Isn't that interesting? It's like they just say, okay, we're going to leave all six days for stress and work and contentious things. And this seventh day, we're going to set it aside and, and seek joy and peace, and contentment. You know what? There's plenty of time in the six days to worry. Let's let the seventh day be free of that. And so they make this commitment. We will not talk about some people because they create anxiety. We'll not talk about some topics because that just bubbles up the anxiety. Just set that aside. Leave that in the six days. And I share this with example of them with you, not as like the, like, follow these rules, Sabbath, but as an invitation into God's desire for you to enjoy life and that you simply need to do some things to help keep the things in the six days in order to create space for that seventh day. So what are you feeling? What pressures are you feeling in life? What pressures are crushing down on you in your day-to-day. And here's the question. How can you order your week to keep the pressures in the six days in order to free up the seventh day? You know, it seems like sometimes we think about Sabbath and we just imagine sitting on the couch staring at a blank wall. It's like this passive activity. That, What do I do on Sabbath? But instead, to think about Sabbath as this resistance to push away things that cause anxiety in order to open up this space in the day, on that Sabbath day, for joy and contentment and rest. This is Sabbath resistance. You know, setting aside some activities or shielding that day. Sabbath requires some effort in our ordering of our week. You know, how do you order things so that it can be in your six days and then seventh day, open. Well, here's an anxiety, or an anxiety. Oof. We've skipped that. But here's an activity, an activity to try to apply some resistance to your week. Some of those pressures in your life, as you feel them, here's something you can consider as a way to push back. So if you think about your Sabbath day. Think about if it's Sunday. If Sunday's the day, your day off. Think about the activities you do in Sunday. Maybe even write them down. Make a little list. Here's what I tend to do on Sunday. And then ask about each one. Does this cause me anxiety or does this cause me peace? 
And if there's activities that you've listed, and maybe just choose one, but if one is causing you anxiety, how can you reorder your week and shift that thing over into the six days? It's fine in the six days to be stressed out. Seventh day, you want to open it up for contentment and joy to produce peace in you. How can you reorder your week to let that Sabbath day be open for contentment and joy, peace, and rest? It's a funny example I used in the first service. But grocery shopping, maybe you have that on your list. You know, for Susie, that causes anxiety. So move it out into the six days. But for me, going to the grocery store doesn't produce anxiety. It's like, ah, I'm by myself walking through the aisles. I can just look at these carrots. So you can't set a rule of what you can or can't do on Sabbath necessarily. You need to find out for yourself, how do I create this space for me to enjoy the fullness of what God wants me to enjoy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace that takes us into joy and contentment. God, help us order our days to find you. Help us to set aside the striving, the restlessness, the anxiety, the drivenness of our culture. Help us push against that in order to create the space where you can exist in our lives and we can fellowship with you and with each other. I pray that you would lavish us with your love as we practice Sabbath. In your name we pray. Amen.